welcome to this BJSM podcast. I'm James Walsh, I'm with Jenny Morton, and we're here today to talk about performing arts medicine and the unique challenges faced by clinicians in this area. Jenny is a genuine Renaissance woman. She started her career as a classical ballet dancer before moving into musical theatre. She's taught dance at her own school. She's a faculty member of the Wells Summer School, which is run with members of the Royal Ballet Company. She's also a qualified osteopath, sports massage therapist, a lecturer in performing arts medicine at University College London. She also finds time to perform with her own band, as well as running her own performing arts clinic in association with the British Association of Performing Arts Medicine. Welcome, Jenny. Thank you. So to start off, could you tell us what is performing arts medicine? So performing arts medicine is a branch of uh, the medical field which deals specifically with musicians, dancers, actors, uh, anyone that uses their voice professionally. So that could be uh, radio announcers, public speakers. And we also deal with circus performers, trapeze artists. Uh, so it's a broad category. Uh, performing arts medicine specialists all uh, have a demonstrated knowledge of the specifics of treating performers like anything uh, when you are treating somebody if you have an understanding of the technique and postures involved in their particular craft then you can actually get to the root source of problems rather than just treating at a symptomatic level Uh, so some practitioners will specialize in one or other of those fields others uh, cross several of those genres Um, but essentially that's what we are uh, trying to uh, support is is the performing arts field with specialist care. Brilliant. So there's obviously a fair bit of crossover with sports medicine. What would you say the major differences and similarities are between sports medicine and performing arts medicine? So they are rooted in in a similar phenomenon in the sense that uh, most performers, and I think most athletes as well, they choose to do what they do because it is driven by a passion that they have and their craft or their their field of athletics is very much part of their identity. So when you're treating a performer who is unable to play their instrument or dance or whatever it is that they do, they really don't know who they are without being able to do that. And if they're in a situation where they are unable to perform their craft, then psychologically it's a very difficult time for them. If you think about the majority of performing artists in the in the world, most of them work on a freelance basis. You will have some that are salaried within an orchestra or a ballet company, uh, but the majority of them are on a job-to-job basis, short contracts or even just gig-to-gig with musicians. So it's very much a word-of-mouth industry. So if you are unable to perform or, or are struggling because you've got an injury and you start to mention that, that can spread around pretty quickly. So it will have an impact on your hireability because if someone is about to hire you and they hear that you're injured they'll think "Ooh, they're not reliable I'll choose somebody else so there's very much a code of silence within the performing arts uh, profession uh, regarding injuries for that issue so it affects their ability to pay the rent one week or another whether they're able to to perform um, there is also a huge sort of psychological Um, association wrapped up in that as I mentioned because their identity is so entrained within uh, their craft that if you advise that they shouldn't play you're almost telling them 
to not be themselves. So it can have a lot of uh, that in itself adds to the anxiety, can add to the, the pain that they're experiencing. Um, one of the things that you would see if you went to a um, athletic event, so a tennis match, football match, something like that, is that if somebody became injured during the, the course of the event, then somebody's going to run on, the whole thing's going to stop and someone will run on and treat them in front of all the crowd. So you will see the treatment happening. They'll potentially be stretched off or a sub- substitute put on. Um, and it's in full view. If you go to a ballet or an orchestral performance and somebody injures themselves, nobody's going to stand up and go, well, stop the music, hold it there. Let's bring someone on and fix this. It's it's hidden. It's not acceptable for these people to become injured. So uh, people come to the performing arts for escapism. They want they don't want to believe that these people are human and that they break. So there's there's also a sort of from the public's perspective, there's also a sort of disconnect that these people actually are, are vulnerable and can get injured. So it's there's on so many levels, it's unacceptable to be injured. Therefore. Um, that's all tied in with the with the with the injury and the the manifestation of pain and symptoms. So we we often hear the show must go on. Do you say that that uh, impacts on the performers themselves in their desire to seek treatment? Absolutely. Um, these people are trained. If you're a high level musician, high level dancer, you will have trained from very very young age, potentially two or three years old. A lot of the training. Uh, in the performing arts is very much focused on play through the pain, keep going. It's pain. It's going to be painful. Pain is is expected and accepted. Uh, therefore, um, people will will work through it uh, because they see that that's a normal thing to do. Most dancers will say they they dance with a level of pain all the time. So, where is the line between what is normal pain? if there even is such a thing, and pathological pain. And where, at what point do they decide this is actually something I need to get help with? So there's a, there's a blurring of the boundaries there for many performers. And also because of a lot of the things I already mentioned, the show must go on, is driven by finances as well as, as just this conditioning that they've had since childhood, that you get on with it, you keep going, and that somehow it's, it's a weakness to stop um, so that it is it's very difficult for them to make the decision as to when they present for um, for treatment and so consequently a lot of the people that we see in performing arts medicine we see at quite a chronic level they've waited a long time um, I recently had a, a bass player who came in with numbness in his fourth and fifth fingers sort of ulnar nerve distribution which is very very common in musicians and he'd been playing with this numbness, you know, he couldn't feel his fingers. And I said, well, how long has that been a, uh, a feature? Well, probably about four or five months. You know, so at what point did you think that might be something you needed to get some help with? So they just kind of think, I'll keep going and I ho- hope it will go away. Um, so there, there's a, a, a lot of work we've got to do to, to change, almost to change the, the uh, psychology of how we educate performers to ensure that they're not seeing pain as an acceptable thing, that pain is an indication from the body that something needs addressing and that it's not normal to be in pain all the time. Would you say as well that there is a education needed for clinicians who are perhaps not uh, used to treating performing 
arts uh, practitioners. Absolutely, absolutely. Even if you're not someone who will be treating performers all the time, but you see the odd person every now and then, I think it's very good to have a good understanding of of who these people are that are coming to you and you know performers get the um get sort of called rightly or wrongly probably rightly you know that they are very dramatic people you know they're all oh, they're just drama queens everything's over the top to be an artist you you are by nature a very expressive creative person that is a part of what being an artist is and just because somebody may present to you with a very dramatic story about their their pain or their their injury you have to see that in the context of what it is they do and all those things that we've already talked about that are loaded into um the the injury that they're they're coming with um so understanding that is one of the fundamental things it was one of the things that drove me to train as a as a practitioner um was the fact that a lot of the time when I presented to someone with, with injury, they just didn't, in quotes, get me. You know, if I could read very quickly that they had no understanding of what my life involved and the fact that I had eight shows a week and I couldn't just take a show off. Um, and so as soon as, as we all know as practitioners, it's that trust is the basis of any therapeutic relationship. So therefore, if you don't have trust, then you're not going to help them. And if if a performer comes into you and within the first 20 seconds they sum you up and think, well, you don't understand a clue about what I do, you've shut down that relationship and it's going to be very hard to help them. So just having an open mind and having an understanding of the life that they live and the the things that they are having to deal with in their profession will will go a long way. Now, are there any resources that our listeners could uh, find um, that would be helpful for them? Yes, so the British Association for Performing Arts Medicine in this country, BAPAM, they are a registered charity who provide healthcare for performers. It's um, uh, Performers can join for free and they get access to either free or, or, or subsidised treatment. What BAPAM also do is run training events um, all around the country in performing arts medicine, different aspects of that. Um, so for, if people want to learn more about um, these, uh, you know, how it, what it's like to treat a performer, then um, they can tap into these, these one-day events, which are CPD events, and learn a bit more about it. Um, I've run myself through my website, which is healthyperformers.com, um, similar events as well in I do a one day event in how to treat the performing artist so people can come along just get an overview of how to treat musicians dancers uh, actors Um, and then there are more specific uh, courses uh, that you can tap into as well Uh, there's a journal um, an international peer-reviewed journal in performing arts medicine that comes out of the performing arts medicine association in the US who are an international organization and that's called medical problems of performing artists and uh, it contains all the, the latest research in the field by uh, well-renowned uh, practitioners and new students coming up and through. Brilliant. Uh, and you yourself have just returned from Philadelphia, where you were um, at the Voice Foundation conference. Can you tell us a little about that? Yes, so uh, voice is, is obviously a big area of, of performing arts, so for your singers, for your actors, for your uh, continuity announcers, radio presenters. Um, and the Voice Foundation is a big organisation in, based in the US, um, who are, which is made up of um, uh, medical practitioners, so ENTs, otolaryngologists, 
um, speech and language pathologists, as well as voice teachers, singing teachers, acting teachers and performers themselves. So it was a five day conference with medical strands, pedagogical strands, uh, strands for speech and language pathologists, so that we can all understand obviously treating a performer, particularly uh, a voice uh, practitioner is, is going to be multi-dimensional. They may need uh, some sort of surgical in intervention, they may need some sort of speech and language pathology intervention, they may need manual therapy, they may need then coaching back into uh, healthy voice. So voice along with a lot of other performing arts medicine injuries, it's, it's, it's unlike sports where there are a lot more traumatic injuries, impact injuries from falling over and walloping something or walloping into somebody, the majority of the issues that you see with performers are long-term uh, issues that have are born out of posture and technique. So unless we have the technicians to help them re-establish and rehabilitate better healthy practice, we're sending them back to repeat the behaviour that they came in with. So it's a great, a great conference because it tied in all those different aspects. You've also recently been involved with the American College of Sports Medicine in the Athletes and the Arts Project. This is a collaboration between the Performing Arts Medicine Association in the US and the American College of Sports Medicine where they are looking at what we as performing arts medicine practitioners can learn from their body of literature. There's, there's an awful lot more uh, literature and research done in the, in, the med, in the sports medicine field. They have a lot more money than we do. Um, and... Also, they, they're looking at what they can learn from, from our uh, research as well. So we're starting to see where the similarities are, where the differences are, and helping sports practitioners to be able to understand more about performing arts uh, as well, because there are many more sports medicine practitioners out there. Um, that's a resource that, that performers could tap into where they, they're going to have a level of understanding of, of, of um, what uh, performers do. But if we can broaden that, knowledge base even more then with you know our, our goal is to create a, an army of practitioners worldwide to look after performers who know what they're talking about um, so athletes and the arts has been a wonderful collaboration and it's um, you can see their website at athlete and athletes and the arts.com um, and there's a, there's a wonderful film on there made by um, an American doctor who's also an osteopath works uh, quite a lot in the sports medicine field, but also in the performing arts medicine field. And he's created a three-minute film, which is on that website, which just says it all about how um, where the similarities are in movement. It's all set to music, and he won an award at an LA film festival for it. Um, in the in the states, they have even more crossover. If you look at cheerleaders, marching bands, where there's there's a bit more of a blend from the sports to the you know most cheerleaders will have dance training as well as athletic training gymnastics feeds quite well into the, the circus performers and, and people that I treat. So there's a lot of bleed through here and a lot that we can learn from each other. So that's what we're trying to do. You've also got a conference coming up in 2016. Yes, yeah, so this is a conference that's in collaboration with the Performing Arts Medicine Association in the US and the American College of Sports Medicine, where we're joining forces to put on a huge event in New York City, which is hopefully accessible to many people around the world. We want to make this an international event uh, where we can share resources and, and start to introduce these people from these different disciplines uh, to each other and start to create much more cross-communication, cross-pollination uh, about what we're doing and hopefully get some more public awareness for performing arts 
medicine uh, which is 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 needed really and you know we need the funding as well uh, to be able to do the research we need to do and provide the services we need for our uh, uh, performers performers are notoriously um uh, hard up bunch most of the time they, they're normally struggling for, for income they're not necessarily there's the element of performing arts medicine that most people see where you have the very highly paid rock stars but they're very much in the minority so um, in this country BAPAM provides um, subsidised care for those um, performers and particularly in the US where they don't have a national health service as well they really need that support to uh, provide funding for treatment Great and specialists Looking at your website, healthyperformers.com, there's a fascinating video of you assessing a musician. Could you talk us through what your process is for doing that? Yes, so every musician that I treat, I invite them to bring their instrument to the session. I have a piano in my clinic. Obviously, it's not feasible to bring your own piano. Some larger instruments, it may not be possible. Um, But for me, as I mentioned before, the, the issue normally lies within posture and technique. And unless you can address that, you're not going to get to the root of the problem. You're only treating symptomatically. So seeing what I call the musician instrument interface at first hand tells me an awful lot about why uh, they have the issue that they have in terms of hand pain or or entrapment. Um, So that's an aspect of performing arts medicine that a lot of people don't understand and um, you really cannot assess a musician unless you see what they're doing. I also try as much as possible to go and see them in the flesh, if you like, in performance, um, because how they sit in front of you when they're being (laughs) analysed in a clinic room, they can often iron out a few of the things that they know they shouldn't be doing. And actually, if you see them, um, as I say, in their natural habitat, you get to learn a lot more about what's led them to the, the injury that they have. Some musicians will also sing at the same time. This must present a unique challenge to the clinician. It, it very much does. So having good uh, placement for good respiratory mechanics for safe vocalising is often compromised by the interface with the instrument. I was treating this afternoon a cellist who sings while she plays. If you look at a cello, it's a very asymmetrical instrument. Therefore, we're not going to be able to have her in an optimal posture for singing. There's always going to be a compromise, but it's about finding the safest way. What's also interesting with voice is that how much uh, anxiety can feed into the instrument. It is an organic instrument. Uh, So if you have stage fright, performance anxiety, and you are a vocalist, then it's going to very much affect the sound that you make, whereas with a pianist or a violinist, that instrument will, will sound the same, whether it's whether you're nervous or not. So that in itself feeds the anxiety even more. So a lot of the issues that I see with vocalists have a, an element of, of anxiety uh, filtered in there. Even if it was an, an injury that occurred incidentally, the anxiety of the injury actually tightens the voice up even more. So there's a lot of psychology involved in this, and we do have some specialist psychologists involved with BAPAM and with PAMA in the US who are specialised in dealing with performance anxiety for that reason. Again, it's we all have to work with these people in a multidisciplinary way in order to ensure we're getting to every single facet of their of their of their issue. That's brilliant. And uh, on our website, we'll put through links to uh, the BAPAM uh, website. So that could be a really useful resource for our listeners. 
And amongst all the other things that you've done, Jenny, you've also written a book. Can you just tell us a, a small plug for that one, please? Yes, I wrote about the um, the the global aspects of being a, a performer in terms of uh, pain, anxiety that the show goes on, the things that we've already spoken about, and how that fits into the culture of being a, a performer when you have the dichotomy of having to earn your living from your passion from your creativity that can create a bit of a divide which is often at the root of some of the the pain manifestations that I see in in the patients presenting to me so I've just explored a bit of that explored how these people are trained and and how we can uh, try and produce performers who are um, have a healthy attitude to what they do and are not going to get themselves into quite so much uh, problems as, as perhaps they do. The name of the book? And the name of the book is The Authentic Performer, Wearing a Mask and the Effect on Health. We've been talking with Jenny Morton. Uh, She's an osteopath who specialises in performing arts medicine. We've talked today about the unique challenges facing clinicians in performing arts medicine, talking about dancers, musicians and vocal artists. And she's also talked about the conferences that she's got coming up in 2016 I'm James Walsh, and I'd like to wish you all a physically active day. Thank you for listening to this PGSM podcast.